Chapter twenty eight of Science in Short Chapters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anita Sloma Martinez. Science in Short Chapters by W. Matthew Williams. Chapter twenty eight Concert Room Acoustics. The acoustics of public buildings are now occupying considerable attention in London. The vast audiences which any kind of sensational performance in the huge metropolis is capable of attracting is forcing the subject upon all who cater for public amusement or instruction. There was probably no building in London or anywhere else more utterly unfit for musical performances than the Crystal Palace in its original condition but nevertheless the handel festival of last week was a great success i attended the first of these immense gatherings and this last but nothing of the kind intermediate and therefore am the better able to make comparisons my recollections of the first were so very unsatisfactory that i gladly evaded the grand rehearsal of friday week and went to the messiah on monday with an astronomical treatise in my pocket in order that my time should not be altogether wasted being seated at the further end of the transept in a gallery above the level of the general ridge and furrow roof of the nave the plump little birmingham tenor who rose to sing the first solo appeared under the combined optical conditions of distance and vertical foreshortening like a chubby cheese might viewed through a binocular microscope taking it for granted that his message of comfort could not possibly reach my ear i determined to anticipate the exhortation by settling down for a comfortable reading of a chapter or two but was surprised to find i could hear every note both of recitative and air it thus became obvious that the alterations that have gradually grown since the time when clara novello's voice was the only one that could be heard across the transept are worthy of study that the advertised success of the valerium is something more than mere puffery i accordingly used my eyes as well as my ears and made a few notes which may be interesting to musical and architectural as well as to scientific readers sound like light heat and all other radiations loses its intensity as it is outwardly dispersed is enfeebled in the ratio of the squares of distance thus at twenty feet from the singer the loudness of the sound is one-fourth of that at ten feet at thirty feet one-ninth at forty feet one-sixteenth at fifty feet one-twenty-fifth and so on that is supposing the singer or other source of sound is surrounded on all sides by free open and still air but this condition is never fulfilled in practice excepting perhaps by simeon's delights when he preached to the multitude from the top of his column if mr vernon rigby had stood on the top of one of his native south stratfordshire chimney shafts of the same height above the ground as the upper press gallery of the crystal palace is above the front of the orchestra and i had stood on the open ground at the same distance away and below him his solo of comfort ye my people would have been utterly inaudible 
what then is the reason of this great difference of effect at equal distances if we can answer this question we shall know something about the acoustics of concert rooms the uninitiated reader will at once begin by saying that sound rises this is almost universally believed and yet it is a great mistake as commonly understood sound radiates equally in every direction downwards upwards north south east or west unless some special directive agency is used the directive agency commonly used is a reflecting or reverberating surface thus the voice of the singer travels forward more abundantly than backward because he uses the roof and to some extent the walls and floor of his mouth as a sound reflector the roof of his mouth being made of concave plates of bone with a thin valerium of integument stretched tightly over them supplies a model sound reflector and i strongly recommend every architect who has to build a concert or lecture room or theatre to study the roof of his own mouth and imitate it as nearly as he can in the roof of his building the great italian singing masters of the old school who like the father of persiani could manufacture a great voice out of average raw material studied the physiology of the vocal organs and one of their first instructions to their pupils was that they should sing against the roof of the mouth then throw the head back and open the mouth so that the sound should reverberate forwards clear of the teeth and lips for the first year or two the pupil had to sing only la la for several hours per day until the faculty of doing this effectually and habitually was acquired the popular notion that sound rises has probably originated from the fact that in our common experience the sounds are produced near to some kind of floor which reflects the sounds upwards and thus adds the reflected sound to that which is directly transmitted and thereby the general result is materially augmented but if we would economize sound more effectively we must have not only a reflecting floor but also a reflecting roof and reflecting walls on all sides of the concert room these are the conditions that were wanting in the original structure of the crystal palace transept for then the sound of the singer's voice could travel upwards to that lofty arch and sideways in all directions almost as freely as in the open air this defect has been remedied to a very great extent by the valerium stretched across from the springing of the great arch of glass and iron and forming a ceiling to the concert-room part of the building besides this a wall of drapery is stretched across each side of the transept and the orchestra has its special walls roof and back there are other minor arrangements for effecting lateral reverberation that is for returning the sound into the auditorium proper instead of allowing it to wander feebly throughout the building the general result of these arrangements is to render that portion of the building in which the reserved seats are placed a really luxurious and efficient concert-room of magnificent proportions but very unfortunately and inevitably these conditions which are so favorable for the happy eight or nine thousand who can afford reserved seats render the position of the other half-dozen thousand outsiders more disappointing and vexatious than ever for my own part 
I would rather spend a holiday afternoon in the mild atmosphere and the quiet, soothing gloom of a coal pit than be teased and irritated by a strained listening to the indefinite roar of a grand choir and the occasional dying vibrations of Sims Reeves' top A. I have in the above advocated reverberation as a remedy for diffusion of sound. This may perhaps appear rather startling to some musicians who have a well-founded dread of echoes, and who read the words echo and reverberation as synonymous. This requires a little explanation. As light is transmitted, reflected, and absorbed in the same manner of sound, and as light is visible, or rather renders objects visible, I will illustrate my meaning by means of light. Let us suppose three apartments of equal size and same shape, one having its walls covered with mirrors, the second with white paper, and the third with black woolen cloth, and all lighted with central chandeliers of equal brilliancy. The first and second will be much lighter than the third, but they will be illuminated very differently. In the first, there will be a repetition of chandeliers in the mirrored walls, each wall definitely reflecting the image of each particular light. In the second room, there will be reflection also, an economy of light, but no reflection of definite images. The apartment will appear to be filled with a general and well-diffused luminosity, rendering every object distinctly visible, and there will be no deep shadows anywhere. In scientific language, we shall have in the first room regular reflection, in the second scattering reflection, in the third room we should have comparative gloom owing to the absorption of the light by the black cloth. We may easily suppose the parallels of these in the case of sound. If the valerium and sidewalls of the transept and orchestra were made of sheet iron or smooth, bare, unbroken, vibrating wooden boards, we should have a certain amount of regular reflection of sound or echo. Just as we should see the particular lights of the chandelier reflected in the first room, so should we hear the particular notes of the singer or player echoed by such regularly vibrating walls and ceiling. If again the valerium and side drapery of the transept and orchestra had been thick, soft woolen cloths, the sound, like the light, would have been absorbed or muffled, and though very clear, it would be weak and insufficient. The reader will now ask, what then is the right material for such valerium and walls? I cannot pretend to say what is the best possible, believing that it is yet to be discovered. The best yet known and attainable at moderate expense is common canvas or calico, washed or painted over with a mixture of size and lime, or other attainable material that will fill up the pores of the fabric and give it a moderately smooth face or surface. Thus prepared, it is found to reflect sound as paper, ground glass, etc. reflect light, by scattering reverberation, but without definite echo. It will now be understood how the valerium acted in rendering the solo so clearly audible at the great height and distance of the upper press gallery, instead of being wasted by diffusion in the great vault above, they were stopped and reflected by the valerium, 
but not so reflected as to produce disagreeable repetition notes just audible at particular points as the lights of the mirror reflections of the chandeliers would be flat surfaces reflect radially while concave surfaces with certain curves reflect sound light heat etc in parallel lines the walls and roof of a music hall should scatter their reflections on all sides and therefore should be flat or nearly so excepting at the angles which should be curved or hollowed from the orchestra the sound is chiefly required to be projected forward as from the singer's mouth and therefore an orchestra should have curved walls and roof space will not permit a dissertation here on the particular curve required this has i believe been carefully calculated in constructing the crystal palace orchestra viewed from a distance the whole orchestra is curiously like a huge wide-opened mouth that only requires to close a little and open a little more according to the articulations of the choir to represent the vocal effort of one gigantic throat there is i think one fault to the shape of this mouth it extends too far laterally in proportion to its perpendicular dimensions the angles of the mouth are too acute the choir extends too far on each side the singers should be packed more like those of the birmingham festival choir there is an acoustic limit to the magnitude of choirs sound travels at about one thousand one hundred feet per second and thus if one of the singers of a choir is one hundred and ten feet nearer than another singer to any particular auditor the near singer will be heard one-tenth of a second before the more distant though they actually sing exactly together in rapid staccato passages this would produce serious confusion though in such music as most of handel's it would be scarcely observable some observations which i have made convince me that the actual choir of the handel festivals has reached if not exceeded the acoustic limits even for handel's music and decidedly exceeds the limits permissible for mendelssohn and most other composers i found that when standing on the floor of the building in front of the orchestra and on one side i could plainly distinguish the wave of difference of time due to the travelling of the sound and in all the passages which required to be taken up smartly and simultaneously by the opposite sides of the choir the effect was very disagreeable the defect however was not observable from the press gallery which is placed as nearly as may be to the focus of the orchestral curve so that radial lines drawn from the auditor to different parts of the orchestra do not differ so much in length as to affect perceptible differences in the moment at which the different sounds reach the ear my conclusion therefore is that if any amendment is to be made in the numbers of the handel festival choir it should rather be done by a reduction than an increase that the four thousand voices should rather be reduced to three thousand than increased to five thousand with greater severity of selection as regards quality power and training of each individual voice and with better packing the three thousand would be more effective than the four thousand chapter twenty eight